our ministry of music and how the Lord has used them to help us express our praise and our thanksgiving uh, to him. Uh, they have been faithful uh, throughout the pandemic, and for that we're grateful uh, as well. Uh, we, they would be here when there was nobody else but us who were doing the services, and we thank God for our video people, our sound people, and our ushers, all of who have been laboring faithfully uh, prior to, during the uh, pandemic, and even their service continues now. We thank God for all of you. Uh, would you just open your Bible to First John? First John. I'm not going to give you an exact text right now because I'm going to look at some text in First John. First John. This morning's uh, subject for the verses I am going to look at and you along with me and expound is evidence of the new birth. Evidence of the new birth. I want to start by telling you a true story. It really did happen. It happened in the 1930s, 1940s, somewhere along there. A boy told his teacher about a dinner his family enjoyed one noon. On the menu, what they consumed was gravy, potatoes, meat, cabbage, even rice pudding. The boy attributed this marvelous meal that they had at noon to a change in his father. The boy told his teacher this, my father has been converted. What he spent on Friday nights to booze himself silly, he now brings home to feed his family. That lad's father exhibited a changed life. And I submit to you this morning that when anybody is born Again, when they experience the new birth, they have a changed life. There is evidence of the new birth. When a person has had this supernatural transformation from God, the Holy Spirit, that will show up in their life. In fact, the Bible provides lines of evidence for this transformation. You can look at the scripture and you can see what it says about a person who has experienced a new birth. You will not be the same if you've been changed by being born from above. You see, it's not joining a church. That may be in effect, but that is not the change. It's not having prayed a prayer. That may be a part of it, but that is not how the change comes. The new birth. And we're going to examine some of the lines of evidence for the new birth. The first one I would like for us to look at is this. 
righteous conduct. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. At the bottom of the verse, you'll see the three words, born of him. Those three words are another way to say the new birth. In 1 John 2, verse 29, it says this, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If you know that God is righteous, and God is righteous, he is righteous by nature. And everything that he does is righteous. In fact, God doesn't look outside himself to determine what is right. He himself is righteousness. He is the standard. Moses in Genesis chapter 18 said to him, Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Obviously, yes. Because God is righteous. Now, this text here tells us that if you know that, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Anyone born of him will have a transformed character. If you're born of God, you will share in the character, the nature of your heavenly father. You cannot be born of God and not be one who is righteous in practice. Amen. Amen. That word practices. It denotes a habit of life. Not a single action, but a succession of actions that make up the life. Post-birth or being born again, there is a life that's made up of righteousness. That's what John says. Those who have been born of him have a different lifestyle. They have different habits. They now desire righteous living. They now desire to do that which is in conformity with the character of their heavenly father. They demonstrate who their father is. That paternity is divine. Born. Born of him. In fact, the word born in our text is a word that translates the Greek ganao. And ganao uh, is the same word used by Jesus in John chapter 3 verse 7 in the phrase, you must be ganao again. <laughs> you must be born again or born anathen from above, suggesting, signifying supernatural birth from God. The work of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing the new birth effects a change in the life of anyone who has experienced that supernatural impartation of life. They move from unrighteousness to righteousness. Righteous conduct then is a line of evidence. If you, you want to know if you've been born again, look at your life. Look at your lifestyle. Look at what impels you. Is it righteousness or otherwise? That's indicative if it's righteousness of the new birth. 
The next point uh, to the previous one, sin no longer prevails. Sin no longer prevails in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Here we have a definition of sin. It's not the only one the Bible provides, but it is one of them. And it is defined here, uh, sin. That word, sin, in the Greek means missing the mark. One aspect of sin is, here is the known will of God. This is the mark, and the sinner misses it. He misses it. He never meets it. He constantly misses the divine mark, the known will of God. Sin is further uh, defined, the latter part of the verse. Sin is lawlessness. There it is, equated with lawlessness. Lawlessness is a defiant violation of God's moral law. Such people provide proof that they are outside the kingdom of God. And according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and particularly verse 23, they will give an account to Jesus on the day of judgment. And Jesus will say to them, listen to this, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness defines... Not only sin, but those who uh, don't know him, the Lord Jesus Christ. First John chapter 3. Stay in the same chapter. Look at the evidence. Here's that word again. Uh, it's not of him, but it says born of God. First John 3, 9. First John 3, 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. Because he is born of God. Rather than lawless behavior. Here we see in this text. One who is born of God again. The new birth. Does not practice sin. Rather they lead a sanctified life. A life set apart from sin. A holy life. That's the reality. When there's a new birth, when it occurs, this is that line of evidence, then we live a sanctified life. That's what our text tells us. Now, you notice something in this verse. Why? Because his seed abides in him. That word seed, of course, is not a literal seed. The seed here uh, pictures the principle of divine life. The divine life was planted in the believer at the moment he or she became a Christian. At the moment of the new birth, divine life was planted in that person. If you are a Christian here this morning, you have in you divine life. That's why you are as you are. <laughs> Because you have divine life. Prior to the new birth, you didn't have that. You were dead in transgressions and sins, but now you have divine life in you. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who 
does this. The Holy Spirit, remember Jesus said, he is the one who provides us. He brings the new birth. The washing of water and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Remember Titus 3.5 and John, the previous text, John chapter 3. The Holy Spirit accomplishes this magnificent work in the life of those who have new life, the divine life. Now, he does this. He uses an instrument, and the instrument is none other than the Word of God. First Peter ch- chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. You ought to turn there. I think it'd be good for you to see this, and he- see the black and white on, uh, here on, um, before us. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Peter's writing to those saints that have been dispersed uh, because of persecution, and he tells them, uh, reminds them of this. Now, I want to just pick out a couple of things here to show you uh, what transpired. Verse 23, it says this, the first Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable. Let me tell you, the perishable seed is the natural seed uh, that uh, produces natural human life. You get it? Do I need to explain it further? Go back to ninth grade biology. You got it. It's perishable. But the seed by which we were born again is imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. See the word through. The Holy Spirit uses the living and enduring word of God. It is his instrument whereby he plants divine life into the soul of a man or woman. And this seed is imperishable. Underscore that. That means believers have salvation for eternity. The divine life abiding in the Christian means that we cannot lose our salvation. It cannot die. It's imperishable seed. So it cannot die. What you've been, the instrument that was used by the Holy Spirit to impart life, divine life in you, is imperishable. So it will last throughout eternity. Can it perish in eternity? No, because it's imperishable. So we have salvation for eternity. That word is enduring, living. It's imperishable. It's living and it's enduring. The word of God. Now, the word of God, it can, of course, the gospel. The gospel. He used the gospel. It's just the word of God to bring us divine life. Now, First John 3, 9, back there. He further states, with divine life, Abiding in the Christian. The Christian, notice in verse 9, cannot sin. <laughs> I better explain that, shall I? Because you're saying, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I know I've because I confess mine. Uh, John obviously does not mean that a believer cannot commit an act of sin. Believers can and believers do. Can I get an amen? amen. 
Yeah, I, I thought you'd all agree. See, you don't want to not say amen because that would be a sin you just committed, but not agree. So <laughs> you have to start confessing. See, and I just proved my point. So what you did, you avoided sinning, see, because you have the divine life in you. You did what was right. First <laughs> John one nine tells us when we sin, we are to confess, right? Furthermore, my little children, he writes in 1 John 2, 1, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ the righteous. So he is not saying that believers will not sin. Can't say that. Anybody who suggests Christian perfectionism, that is, you can live without sin in this life, just lied. They've downgraded sin. They don't understand the depth of sin. They do not understand its wickedness, its iniquity. Anybody who suggests you can live this life without sinning, um, they're not living in this universe. But, well, what does it mean? And he cannot sin. Well, we need to understand that the word sin is in the present tense, is an infinitive. And what that means is simply this in the original, that is, a believer is not able to sin habitually. A believer will not, as a matter of course, as a way of life, his lifestyle will not be one of habitual sin. You can't do it. You have divine life in you. It can't be your lifestyle. You see, we died with Christ, Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 6. We were united with him, we died with him, we were buried with him, and we've been raised with him, Romans 6, 4, to walk in what? Newness of life. We are new creations in... Thank you. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. We've laid aside the old and put on the Amen. So why we can't? We have a new nature. We have the nature of God. His life, his principle living in his divine life in our soul. For we cannot do that. That's a, that's a line of evidence that indicates, yes, you belong to him. Uh, that lets you know, yes, yes, this is the way my life is because I know what my life was like before I was born again. I know what my life's like now that I'm born again. Therefore, I know something has happened to me. The very core of my being. Born of God. Born of God. It says at the bottom of the verse, verse 9, let me expand here the new birth is God's work alone theologians call it a monergistic work monergism is another form of that word monergism mono one and uh, ergo from the Greek it means a unit of work one working monergism what that means is there's only one person at work in our salvation that's God it is not synergistic. God didn't work along with us to bring us to salvation. Let me ask you a question. Help his or her mother in their birth. They didn't say, Johnny, help mama. 
<laughs> no. That's why the Bible uses the figure of being born again. Because we had absolutely no participation in that. It was all done by your mother and the doctor or whoever assisted to bring you into the world. She didn't do anything. You were passive, weren't you? Next thing you knew, you were out there, what's all this? <laughs> the same is true in our spiritual birth. The Lord changes us. We are transformed. We were once dead in transgressions and sin. We're following Satan. We're living to please our flesh. Then he saved us. And we had a whole different orientation. We were alive in Christ. We loved Christ, loved God. Spiritual things made sense to us because we've been born again solely by the work of God. Verse 10 of 1 John 3, 9, he elaborates further, showing the sharp distinction between those who have been born of God and those who have not been. There are two classes of people in this world, two groups comprising humanity. Verse 10, God and children of two paternities. And they are obvious in their distinction. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. The children of the devil do not practice righteousness. And that indicates who their spiritual father is. John eight forty four. Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil. Everyone who is unsaved, their spiritual father is Satan. Jesus' words. God is not the father of those who are not saved. Now, there are some people, liberal theologians, um, people who really don't believe the word of God, who are really not Christians, they just have that name, but it's name only, but the reality is not there. They like to say, talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Well, God is not the father of all men indiscriminately, apart from, or except in the sense that he is their creator. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. But he is not the father of men in, in the sense of being their spiritual father. Those who are not Christians, are, they are not God's children. Sometimes you'll even hear people say, oh, we're all God's children. No, we are not. If you're not a, a Christian, if you've not been born again, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior, you are not a child of God. You say, well, I, I don't believe in Christianity, but I'm, I'm a, a Muslim. Well, you're not a child of God. Not spiritually. Whatever religion, whatever, it, you're not. Because the Bible is clear. Only those who have been born of God, born from above, who have trusted Christ alone as Savior and Lord, are the people who are his children. 
Don't be bamboozled by those who want to just lump all of humanity in this one big lump of people and say, we're all God's children. We're all brothers. No, we're not. Not according to the word of God. We have to be correct about this. We have to tell the truth about this. To understand there's a profound difference. Two classes of people in humanity. Those who are born again and those who are not. So what we've seen in our lines of evidence thus far, righteous conduct, sin no longer prevails. But there's another uh, love for Christians. First John chapter 3, again, we look at, I guess we could say the B part. Nor the one who does not love his brother. Hmm. Um, anyone who is born of God will love his brother, fellow Christians. True Christians love one another. They seek the true welfare of the one loved. If you've been born of God, you will love those who have been born of him. Let me put it like this. If you are a child of God, you've been born of God, well, you love others who have been born of God, who are children of God. It's clear. First John chapter 5, verse 1, the B part, it says, And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. If you say you love God the Father, well, then you'll love God the Father's children. You'll love your family members. It's the reality. In fact, he elaborates, John does here in this third chapter on love, and it really would be a sermon or two in itself. Uh, we can look just briefly at some of the things. The world will hate us. The world hates Christians. Verse 13, 1 John 3. Verse 14, 1 John 3, it says, We know that we have passed out of death, spiritual death, into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. One who does not love his fellow believers abides in death. All protestations to the contrary notwithstanding. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Remember Cain, do you not? Cain slew his brother Abel, as previous verses. He was of that wicked one. The evil one. Love is present. You love those who are Christians. Notice something in chapter 4. Verse 7, another, this line of evidence, the new birth. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Yeah. God's nature is love. And if you're born of him, you share his name, just like his righteousness. You'll share that and you'll love other Christians. Is it possible to be a Christian and fail at love at some point? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, Christians have done some ugly things to one another. They've done some despicable things. They lack love as they should have. It's been awful. But Christians will not have a pattern of lack of love toward other believers. That will not be. Can't be. If you have his life in you, you can't not hate. You cannot not love other believers. Now, in this text here, uh, we will sacrifice, 1 John 3. Let me give you a couple of things to help us define what this love is talking about. Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. He sacrificed for us, Christ did. Verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. And in other words, verse 17, he goes on, you see a brother in need, you don't close your heart, you, you meet that need, right? That's love. How else is love dis- um, demonstrated. Go with me to that famous passage that uh, people love. It's a beautiful piece of literature. It's lyrical. It's lovely. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, penned by Paul. Wrote to a church that struggled with love. So pastorally he had to address it and explain to them Without love, you're nothing but a noisemaker. <laughs> now, I didn't make that up. That comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. People, you can have a tremendous gift, but if you don't love, God says you're just a lot of noise. Let's look at what he says in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Let me stop there for a moment and explain that one. Love doesn't keep a long list of all the uh, injuries perpetrated against you by others that you can pull up. They did this to me December 12th in the year 2001. Is it 6.30? No, 6.31 p.m.? (laughs) I'll never forget the day. It'll day live in infamy. <laughs> Does not take into account wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love won't do that, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things. Not gullibility. That means it hopes for the best. Endures all things. Love won't fail. That's love. Righteous conduct, sin no longer prevails. Love for Christians. Another one is right view of Christ. First John chapter 5, if you go there with me. First John chapter 5.
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Let's stop at the comma. People born of God believe the truth about Jesus Christ. This is critical. Anybody who has been born again will hold to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. In order, in fact, for a priest person to believe the truth, he has to be born again first. And I say that, I know I just said it, but I want to say it again because it's important and I'll explain to you here now. The word born in this text is a perfect tense participle. And I tell you that not to give you a grammar lesson, but let you understand that every word of scripture is inspired by God. That's why we look at what the original text says, because you're not going to necessarily know that just by reading the text. The English text is born of God. Perfect tense, participle. This means the, 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 it is the, the, main, the main verb here is believes. But the participle, the nature of it is this, that is antecedent in time. Let me explain what I mean by that. It means that you have to be born again. When you're born again, the perfect tense then you believe. Present tense. Antecedent in time. Before you believe, you were born again. You didn't believe and then you were born again. No, you believed, then you were born again. That's what the Greek says. Let me put it to you like this. Regeneration, or the new birth, precedes faith. You're born again before you believe. You couldn't believe before you were born again because when you, before you were born again, you were dead. You could do nothing. You're dead in transgressions and sin. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Regeneration precedes faith. It is, in fact, uh, it produces faith. Faith does not produce regeneration or the new birth. Let me put it to you again this way. Being born again produces saving faith. It's the reason you believe. The reason you believe that Jesus is the Christ is because you have have been born or have been born again. Now let's look at this word believes. It's present tense word, verb. It, it's continuing belief. Continuing belief or faith in Christ gives evidence that one is born again. Follow me now. If you keep on believing that Jesus is the Christ, that indicates that you are indeed born again. Faith that God grants in regeneration is permanent. It cannot be lost or die. Now, let me tell you, there's some people who uh, were saved. Now, hear this. They said they were saved. They were, they were Christians. They stopped being Christians. May I say to you, there is no such thing as an ex-Christian, a former Christian. If a person stops believing in Jesus Christ, what that tells us, they never truly believed in him the first place. 
Matthew 13. Remember this, the parable of the sower? The seed of the gospel is sown in people. Some, they believe, some people believe for a little bit. And they stop believing. The only people who really truly savingly believe are those when the seed is sown and it produces good fruit. Read the parable. It's clear. Anybody who's truly saved will keep on believing that Jesus is the Christ. They will not recant. They will not stop. They will not say, well, you know, I reconsidered my position, my earlier position, and I don't buy into that any longer. I've matured. I've grown intellectually, and I come to understand that God is a God of pluralism, and Jesus is not the unique only way. He is not the only person. His person work is what is required for self. No, I don't buy that any longer because I've grown up intellectually. You just told the whole world you never believed in the first place. If you continue to believe in Jesus Christ, the revelation given to him in the Bible, it indicates that you are saved. You must believe the revelation of God in Christ. 1 John chapter 2. There were some people there, that church, which John wrote to. There were some people there, that church is in Ephesus. And he says in 1 John chapter 2, and boy, he's right out of the gate. He does, he's forthright about it. First John chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son also does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. There were people that infiltrated that church at Ephesus, which John was writing, and they were denying this central truth about Christ, that he is the Christ or he is Messiah. No one is saved who denies that Jesus is the anointed Messiah of God. Period. Full stop. They deny that, they're not saved. They deny his personal work, not saved. They deny his virgin birth, not saved. They die. Whatever the Bible's revealed about Christ, they deny that. They demonstrate that they're not in the family of God. The woman at the well, you may recall, uh, she said, they've told us the Messiah is coming. Jesus said, I am he. He told her, I'm Messiah. So lines of evidence are righteous conduct, sin no longer prevails, love for Christians, right view of Christ uh, overcomes the world. First John chapter 5 verse 4 I'll hurry along here. First uh, John chapter 5 verse 4 it says this for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. When a person is born again notice in verse 4 there it is again he overcomes the world. He is given faith at regeneration. That faith causes him to live victoriously over the world's system of evil. He exercises faith. The faith there is the faith we exercise. That's subjective faith. It's not talking about the content of faith. It's talking about our trust in God. The world will come with us with all manner of temptations and all the rest of that. But we trust God. We exercise that. We have that faith. We have that power. In fact, that whatever is a neuter, meaning the power that's been given to us, enabling us to live victoriously.
It abides in us. This power has been given to us by the new birth or through it. Enabling victorious living. We overcome the world. Sign of a new birth that you're, you're an overcomer. You have victory. And the word Nike comes, the word in our English comes from that word overcome or victory. Nike, the shoe company, <laughs> comes from the Greek. I don't know if they knew that's in the Koine Greek, but it sure is. So next time you lace up your Nikes, remember where the word originally came from. Another line of evidence is kept by Christ, 1 John 5.18. And with this line of evidence, we'll conclude our time this morning. 1 John 5.18. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. Let me unpack this here rather briefly. Uh, the first reference to born of God in this verse is a reference to believers. It says we don't sin. We don't fall back into a pattern of unbroken sin. We've already addressed that, haven't we? Have the divine life in us. But the second born of God, you'll notice in verse uh, 18, but he who was born of God keeps him. Him who? The one there in... Um, first part of the verse, Christians are a Christian. The second born of God is the spirit, supernatural birth, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born of God, virgin conceived and born, right? Supernatural birth. His supernatural birth enabled our supernatural birth being born again. Moreover, he keeps him or us, you, me, the believer. He keeps us. The evil one cannot therefore touch us or does not. Uh, touch, lay hold of, or fasten his grip. Jesus Christ protects his flock. Satan can tempt us, he can harass us, but he can never reclaim us. We are permanently free of his dark domain. We are not under his control. Jesus keeps us. He will never let us go, and Satan cannot take us from him. Our security in the grip of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely certain. We're his. We've been born again. Now there were some people who suggested you can't know about salvation. The Gnostics, you can't know. They're, in fact, there are people today, people Islam, they say you can't know that you have eternal life. Oh? Roman Catholic theology says you can't know. In fact, they say it's presumptuous to say that you can know that you have eternal life. Oh? We beg to differ. 1 John 5.13. I'm coming to a conclusion. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? 
that you have eternal life. You can know. These people tell you can't know, say, I ain't what my Bible says. I believe what the word of God says. These things, what are the things, the things that he's been talking about previous to this verse? All of that that gives us, not only about being born again, all the truth here, they're doctrinal and moral tests. And if you pass the test, you can know that you have eternal life. So it's nothing to be afraid of. Just look at it and see, oh, look, yeah, this is true of me. This is true of my life. I am the possessor of eternal life. You can know. Isn't that good to know? It's good to know. That you know. That you belong to him. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for lines of evidence, the new birth, proof we can find in our own lives to undergird our assurance that we are your children. May we explore this topic more fully and deeply. May it be emblazoned, as it were, on our hearts, deeply embedded in our minds, and motivate us to live lives in gratitude and joy, pleasing you. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. You see, the man and a woman, they want to help you.